You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're bringing to you uh, an update now with our training camp specials. We've had about three or so training camp specials so far. Uh, This is going to be our fourth, and this is the first time that we're going to be able to have uh, padded practices, other things to talk about. Uh, Super exciting. Uh, My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, This is your complete cards coverage. I'm joined Again, by my co-host, as always, the Venerable, John Venerable. On Twitter, he's known as Johnny Touchdown on the podcast. I call him John. Mr. Venerable, we finally have what you could call real football to talk about. Let's go a bit more into detail about some of the biggest news and reviews for the Cardinals. Starting with the biggest story went national. The fact that the Cardinals lost Robert Alford for the year. What do we have to make out about all of this? Because this is something that, you know, you and I talked about a lot. He was a guy the Cardinals were counting on. But there was not a lot as far as that we were maybe confident in. Like you and I even said, I think at one point off air, if they get anything out of him this year, it would be a win. Yeah, absolutely. I I just... Well, first of all, it's great to join everybody. Good to be back here on the RLTB podcast as we do this every week leading up and during the NFL season. Essentially, we never take time off because football never sleeps. Uh, and as yeah, as we're diving into this, really this this ground-shaking news from, from Cards Camp, Robert Alford will never play a down for the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, think about that. They gave him a three-year extension. They claimed him when he was released from Atlanta – Time claimed him in the, the winter of 2019 when they had that top waiver claim from being the worst team in the NFL in 2018 and immediately extended him, said that he could be a staple across from Patrick Peterson. Oh, yeah, you know, I had definitely. a couple Crazy. really nice oh, yeah. seasons for the Falcons under Dan Quinn, had that pick six from uh, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl when they almost won it. But then you think about, okay, he gets hurt last year, he breaks his leg, right? And so that was always going to be difficult for him to come back from, especially as somebody – in his early 30s. I think he's 32 right now. And then in the offseason, Blake, I think we expected them to potentially add another body at corner to go with Alford, Byron Murphy, and Patrick Peterson. They did not. They they opted not to participate in free agency from a corner standpoint. And then in the draft, the way it fell to them after not having a second-round pick from acquiring DeAndre Hopkins, they never thought that the corner supposedly was the best player on the board. It wasn't a great corner class, but you think about a Jeff Okuda, had he been there when the Cardinals were picking we both feel like that would have been the pick. Uh, I think Jeff Okuda, Isaiah Simmons um, were the, the consensus pick for the Cardinals if either of them fell. Okuda did not, went three to the Lions, so the Cardinals happily took Simmons. And just it wasn't a position in which they could take a corner that they had super confidence on. I, I certainly don't think anybody is going to argue with the with the haul of the draft class that they had. I mean, it's, it's going to pay dividends for a long time, especially that third rounder. So we talk about, okay, Alford goes down. It was already a weak group to begin with. Where do they go now? And and what's the future like for Alford? I, again, he was due to make $7 million this year. I'm not sure if they're going to waive him and try to recoup some of that money. He's due $9.5 million next year. He won't see that. Very similar to Marcus Gilbert Blake, where those were two big names that they thought, okay, we got a right tackle in our second corner in the spring of 2019. Neither of them will ever play a game for them. So it's just it's the way things go. 
Um, moving forward, what does that opposite corner look like to Patrick Peterson? I've been pretty vocal on social media, on Twitter, that you took a corner 33rd overall in 2019. He needs to be that guy. And I've had many, many people tell me, well, he's a slot corner, John. You, you, you need to understand that he's not capable of playing outside. Well, he played outside last year and had his ups and downs. But University of Washington, he played a lot outside. Um, his, his pro comp um, was, shoot, I can't remember his name, from the Chicago, first rounder corner out of Chicago Bears, who also plays outside. Um, and so I, I'm just, I'm somebody that you took this player, you're confident. You said you had a top five grade, top 10 grade on him. If you remember Steve Kime saying that about Byron Murphy after the draft in 2019, how is he not the ideal choice next to Patrick Peterson? And then you could go and supplement your nickel corner with, you know, I think a plethora of free agents available, one being Logan Ryan. If you could get Logan Ryan to come in and play an all-pro level, Pro Bowl level at nickel corner, suddenly that that position, you, you potentially upgraded after losing Byron Murphy. But it, I think, Blake, what's more likely is they're going to keep Byron Murphy as the slot corner. We're going to see how he does in his second year. And John Gambadaro of Arizona Sports said, you know, don't sleep on an acquisition like a, a keep to leave, somebody like that who has played, like you mentioned, for Vance Joseph, I think that's probably more likely. I think the signing um, of Crawley, the veteran corner from uh, the Raiders and the Saints, is more for depth, though he's got some experience. I I think this team desperately needs a veteran to come play outside with Patrick Peterson, but as far as Alford goes, his days as a Cardinal, they're numbered, Blake. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because you could look at the Arizona Cardinals and their roster additions the big four that they had in the 2019 season uh, they were Robert Alford DJ Swearinger Darius Phylon and Jordan Hicks and you're talking about yeah Terrell Suggs you're talking and Suggs was the only one of those who was a one-year deal straight up the others were at least two-year deals for the most part or in the cardinal sense was I think it was the one year left on Swearinger's contract when they added him from the uh, from the now Washington football team and in that regard, it's kind of crazy to think about that three of those four are gone. And if you, if the Cardinals had, for whatever reason, I know, John, we talked a lot about if they were going to add a player, say, of the caliber of, uh, we talked a lot about C.J. Mosley. He has not played a down yet for the uh, New York Jets. Or maybe even if it was, it was one game before he had an injury. There's a possibility the Cardinals could have, you know, gone 0 for 4 potentially on free agency had the they managed to see all of that backfire, which is crazy to think about, but it shows, uh, I think in a lot of cases, two big things right now for the cards. The first thing that it shows is that free agency, it can definitely be a wash. We've seen that before in the past, so there's free agents who change teams or leave, whether they're um, good or not. There's always a team who either, for some reason, isn't keeping them or is cutting them. A lot of guys don't work out. Some of them end up do. A lot of times you'll see guys like a C.J. Mosley who just hasn't seemed to pan out. Um, that's just natural. I think the Cardinals even said that they saw uh, reports when they ran everything that about 50% or so of free agent acquisitions just do not work out with their new teams. Uh, it's in that case a lot like the NFL draft. So what you need to do in that sense is build through the draft. And like you talked about, that was part of drafting Byron Murphy. I think where the Cardinals have gotten kind of stuck, John, is they have had so many draft misses from that 2013 to 2019 seasons 
Uh, we're saying 2019 at least is kind of the one that's the new class, but there's so many misses up until that year that they had to go to free agency to supplement. You didn't have a corner on the roster because Brandon Williams, he didn't work out. You re-signed Justin Bethel, he wasn't your number two corner. So you bring in Alford, you bring in Byron Murphy, and I, I don't mind Byron Murphy being in the slot. I think you could hopefully look to him being on a, a path like a Mason Cole potentially who, you know, Started his first season out of need, took kind of maybe a little bit of a backseat his second year to learn, get a lot better, use some of the skill set, and then kind of in the third year of getting a handle on the league, moved into much more of a prominent role. Uh, it was the same case with Bobby Massey. I'm fine if that's the case they want to go with Byron by keeping him at the slot for this year, and or maybe even if you look at the NFL, say, hey, slot corners are basically a starter now. You just want to stick to the best skill set, put in a, <laughs> an elite player in the slot if you need but it does point out, John, like you said, this is the case where the Cardinals did not address anything before this at all. They've got about $5 million in cap space, and you and I were looking at each other a few weeks ago going, yeah, they'll need to sign a corner, and this signing at least for depth is more of one of those signings we expected to have with Alfred on the roster. Now you're probably looking at a higher type of corner, and unfortunately a lot of those guys are looking still for maybe a one-year $8 million, one-year $10 million deal. And that's going to be interesting to see. I, I still think that the best possible outcome for the cards, if they wanted to have it, would be um, you're able to keep Byron in the slot where he's good. You need to see an obvious improvement in your pass defense. Hopefully, Aqib Talib is healthy. He played in the uh, Wade Phillips-style defense, a press corner. He is coming off of an injury similar to Alford, so it is a risk. But I think that Logan Ryan, for the caliber player he is, he probably would have to play in more of the slot safety role at this point. He's even said it outright. He said, hey, treat me as a safety. The Cardinals could maybe talk him into the slot or rotate him with Jalen Thompson. But you could stick Aqib Tlaib on the outside. He's a fast, physical type of player. Um, he's got a little bit of an edge to him. He's old is the biggest downside, but as far as being able to have a technical player, if you could get him at a one-year, maybe $5 million deal and put some incentives in for the most part, I think that's probably your best bet versus having to you know, put in a two-year deal for a Logan Ryan, and then you got an older, aging safety. You don't have maybe as much money to pay a Buda Baker to keep him on. Instead, then you get to look to next year with the draft, and then we get to talk about the Patrick Peterson approach, which now his role on this team in 2020, it becomes even more prominent because he's gone from a player who you know was already probably a can't-miss-time player before to now if he goes down or has a dull year, it's a huge, massive blow for the Cardinals. Yeah, and I think Michael Bidwell is sitting back saying, I'm going to have to open the checkbook to Mr. Peterson because we're essentially in dire straits uh, let's say Byron Murphy has a solid year, but he doesn't explode, right? He was the 33rd overall pick, which you expect. That, that's essentially a first-rounder to me, and we expect that player at minimum to be a solid starter and hopefully become a, a Pro Bowl caliber player. We're not there yet, and let's fast forward to the end of the season, and, and Byron's not there yet, and they don't have an outside quarter under contract, Blake. Um, I'm assuming they're going to release Alford. But you don't think Michael Bidwell is going to turn to Patrick Peterson and say, what are you looking for? Let's let's lock up another deal and make you a career Cardinal. I, I think with the Alford departure now via free, via uh, injury and the fact they have no contingency plan and you're set on keeping Byron Murphy on the slot, I, I may be ignorant in saying this, Blake. I think this guarantees that Patrick Peterson is around long term. I think he's going to have the kind of season in which he plays well. He may not play Pete Patrick Peterson, but he's going to be a good player for them. Um, he looks 
like he's in unbelievable shape. He's been super motivated. Everything we've seen on social media suggests he's going to have a monster year. I think the Cardinals are going to turn around. They're going to pay Buda Baker. They're going to pay Patrick Peterson big money to stick around. They're going to pay DeAndre Hopkins. It's going to be the spring of the extensions, right? So we may not see this team super active in free agency next year. You may just be looking around and saying, okay, who do I need to take care of right now? And you need to take care of your Pro Bowl safety. You need to take care of likely your Pro Bowl wide receiver. Give him a little bit of an um, increase in uh, his base salary, even though he is under contract for three more years. Hopkins is going to get paid, what, $18, $19 million a year, Blake? And then you need to take care of Patrick Peterson, who really is going to be their, their only option at, at corner. They they did they weren't able to take a Jeff Okuda. Um, they, they didn't take C.J. Henderson. Isaiah Simmons, by all accounts, Blake, and we'll get to this, supposedly looks phenomenal in, in, in camp. So that, that bodes well for the team long term. But I, I think you're in a position with Kyler Murray's rookie deal. You just have to say, hey, Patrick, we're going to keep you around. Don't worry about it. Play. You do you this year. Play like you're capable, and we're going to take care of you. I, I just I think this cements Patrick Peterson, assuming he plays well this year, as a he's going to be a career card. Yeah, John, I think that it very well could, especially when you're looking at just the need that Arizona has next year. Um, if you're going to keep Byron in the slot, you're for sure going to be looking at who are you going to pay, who are you going to extend. Um, as we've seen with Steve Kime, with the way that he treats Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Peterson was on track to essentially be in that same kind of uh, almost hallowed ground in a sense because the production was still at a higher level than a Calais Campbell. Now, again, it is reaching at age 30. There is at least a compromise that I think could be beneficial to the Cardinals and to Peterson. And wouldn't be exactly what Peterson wants, unfortunately, but that would be that the franchise tag could still be an option for him. Now, again, if you're talking about a Peterson contract extension, usually the franchise tag would be the starting point per year per year. And uh, I think that's another option. I wanted to see, what was your thoughts on if the Cardinals decided to tag him on, on a franchise tag deal, John? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be a bad move. But you think about, okay, had Alford played and he played well with Peterson, right, and he was healthy, they probably would have kept him around for next year, even at $9.5 million, right? And then you've got Byron Murphy, and then maybe you can add another solid corner in free agency. You let Peterson walk. Maybe you take a corner in the first round. I just think with Alford gone, all their chips are with Peterson and – I, I think, sure, they can do the franchise tag with an incentive to maybe extend him, but I don't think there's not going to be any kind of holdout from Peterson. So um, what's the highest paid corner make in the NFL? I'm not, I'm not entirely certain, maybe in the neighborhood of 15, 16 million. Uh, Jalen Ramsey's going to get 17. Okay. About 17 million. The toughest thing is that that will look then at like you know the franchise tag average of the top ten. However, all of that will work. The downside is that as we saw even with the DJ Humphreys deal, he now makes more this year than the franchise tag would have cost for it, and because the franchise tag now in the negotiations, that's been seen as the floor, and that would play into any long-term Peterson uh, contract extension. Yeah, I just I think that whether it's by franchise tag or, or extension, they're gonna they're gonna keep him around. They. They, he has made it known he wants to be part of this new age Cardinal team. He wants to show that, uh, you know, I'm capable of being the kind of player I was, you know, pre-suspension. I think he's got a bad taste in his mouth. You know, after that alleged PED came, um, PED came out, um, that whole thing was, was very bizarre. He had his multiple trade demands. I, you know, you know this, Blake, I would have dealt him two seasons ago and gotten a haul, but they're in a position now where they've got minimal leverage because 
he's their only really corner that's made any kind of impact in the NFL. And I just think that at the end of the day, being somebody who's made almost double-digit Pro Bowls last year, I think was his first year. He didn't make the Pro Bowl since his rookie season in 2011. He was all on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I think he wants to reshape his image. I think Michael Bidwell knows the impact that he has on this defense. He could very well be the, a poor man's Larry Fitzgerald in terms of his longevity on this team, especially defensively. And let's face it, this team has been burned, Blake, by letting Cardinals, who they assume were past their prime, hit free agency and have success out there. Let's let's just quickly go through them. Carlos Dansby, the first time they let him go, left for Miami, and he played well, and they brought him back, and he was phenomenal, but that was a mistake to let him leave. Calais Campbell, they didn't want to pay him. They have not replaced Calais Campbell, and he's been gone for, what, two or three years? He's been a phenomenal player for the Jacksonville Jaguars, now on the Baltimore Ravens as they you know pursue a Super Bowl. What about Anquan Bolden? Anquan Bolden, they thought, was dead and buried. They got rid of him. They traded him. He won a Super Bowl for Baltimore. He went over to San Francisco and balled out, got to another I think AFC Championship game or Super Bowl. Um, And then he went on to Detroit and had a really nice season before retiring. I think this team needs to, the old age Belichick comment of, you know, get rid of them a year too early than a year too late. The Cardinals just haven't been served well by that. And I, I would rather just overpay Peterson because, like you mentioned, Blake, they haven't hit on these positions to replace the, the Calaises and the Petersons. And so you're kind of in a position where you can't be left with a bear covered. You can't be left with a Darius Fion and a Robert Kimdichie-esque situation in your secondary. I love Byron Murphy, but he's not capable, apparently, of being an outside corner right now, of taking that next step. And you don't know what the free agent class is going to look like. And there's never been more uncertainty with the 2021 draft. So I, I think you have to play it safe. Peterson plays well. Maybe you overpay him slightly. And then I also think, Blake, and we haven't talked about this, I think Peterson's game will translate very well if he wants to play back-end free safety at, 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 during the during the mid to, mid-30 years of his career. I think he can play corner for maybe two or three more seasons than if he wants to transition to – that center fielder role, he's got tremendous ball skills. He's not the best tackler, but he's still got plenty of speed for that position. I think he could he could be a kind of a poor man's Ed Reed, you know, once he reaches 34, 35. And I've always viewed that as, can he go out like an Aeneas Williams? I know they're two different kind of players, but Aeneas was, of course, an all-pro corner, transitioned to safety, won a, won a Super Bowl with the St. Louis Rams. So there are options for Patrick long-term as long as he's bought in. And clearly, he looks like he's ready to rock in 2020, and that's good news for Arizona. Yeah, uh, he may change the whole defense if he plays well by being able to lock down guys in one-on-one coverage. Uh, I think that he, you're right. He maybe with that athleticism or change, it would be reading and playing a different spot or position. And we have seen some guys like a 28-year-old Byron Jones and a 29-year-old Darius Slay have gotten paid with. Uh, you know, Slay, I believe, at least is on a $30 million deal. Byron Jones just got a $50 million deal. You're talking about uh, about an average of about $16 million a year. If Peterson ends up going out and has the type of season he's capable of, you're probably looking at about $17 million a year. Now, I don't think you're talking a four- to five-year deal with Peterson. Because of the age, you're probably going to be looking at then a three-year deal where the Cardinals, similar to the David Johnson trade, uh, you're probably going to end up having enough guarantees at least where you'll be able to have him be a free agent again if he wants to be at you know, age 33 or 34, if he wants to try to get one more deal in. 
Um, but I'll be very curious to see what that looks like. The, the biggest thing, John, that is interesting is the Cardinals have not been able to essentially, when you're talking about the core of their players, you're talking about a Larry Fitzgerald, the Chandler Jones, even the David Johnson and Patrick Petersons. The Cardinals have not been able to essentially find a replacement for those guys. And in one case, that's been good that each of them have played at such a high level. Uh, outside of Johnson was the one who first had an actual dip in production of any kind for the most part. Like even during that awful 20, uh, 2018 season, he still had almost 1,000 yards rushing and 500 yards receiving. And the fact that the Cardinals, you know, with running backs, simple, easy to replace. But for a starting lockdown cornerback like Peterson, those guys are hard to find and rare. Uh, like uh, like you said, if the Cardinals were to franchise tag him, you'd hold on to his rights probably for one more year, be able to at least see if you could get – maybe if uh, the Cardinals think they can push for a ring, that may end up leading into a whole other payday for him. You could get a draft pick back. It could also lead to one other possibility, which would be, hey, if you're going to be needing to replace Patrick Peterson, you want to try to go a bit cheaper, hey, maybe you franchise tag him, try to see if a team will you know, offer a pick for him, and if they won't, then you can go ahead and play with him for that year. Uh, there is a chance, although, of course, of this backfiring. Uh, as we've seen with the Jacksonville Jaguars, they've had that with Yannick Ngakwe, who still has not been traded. He's been kind of on the trade block for a while. No team so far has been willing to give up anything really for him, and he's been kind of holding out from camp. And so in that case, I, I don't see Peterson pulling off the same type of thing. Um, but I think, John, like the, the biggest focus, at least, is when we're talking about how this cornerback situation works is it's recognizing – uh, that part of the reason why the Cardinals could pay Peterson is because they have a window with Kyler Murray on a rookie contract. It's part of why we're advocating not just, oh, see what the new guys, see what the young guys have, you know, like go ahead and start a few guys at least for that one, rotate through, see what you got. Uh, no, you need to try to win games that you can now while you're there. Build up a team into a contender knowing that year three and year four of Kyler may be some of your best bets. We've seen it with quarterbacks in the past and some teams, the, the Houston Texans come to mind. They're having to pay Deshaun Watson now and never really made it out of the first round of the playoffs. For me, the Cardinals have to be able to, in this sense, find a guy that they can be able to pay to bring in someone who's reliable, who's a veteran. Um, and even though they've got a guy who came in at least who's started some 42 games, it was clear that he was on the down curve of his career. It's, trusting him would be like, you know, tr I think the Cardinals uh, at one point were trusting a undrafted free agent Ronald Zamord at some reason <laughs> the 2017 season he went down they went and brought in Tremont Williams he stabilized that position for the rest of the year that I think John is what the Cardinals need to do I think you try to get through this season see what Peterson has left in the tank if he should have plenty given the motivation that he's at and the athleticism that we know that he's capable of but I think that would be option number one. And then once we get to the offseason, I think that the Cardinals, because of that franchise tag, they do hold all the cards, literally. The biggest concern, like you said, John, is if they're not able to replace him and Peterson gets into a frustrating type of holdout, demands a trade again, then you're going to start talking about, okay, now if Byron Murphy didn't turn out, what are we going to do at this position? And that's a tough spot for the Cardinals to be in in Kyler Murray's third year. That, I think, is the biggest concern. Yeah, I think... My, my my understanding is that the team, Steve Kime, is open to dealing future draft picks for, for proven players because of the uncertainty of next year's draft. And I think, Blake, I think there's a scenario in which they still keep Peterson, but they go and pursue maybe midseason, maybe after the season, a established veteran corner that can come in 
and have the kind of impact, Blake, that a Hopkins or a Jones had. And I'm not saying Kime's going to do that every offseason, but I, I do think when, when they saw the Jamal Adams trade from Seattle, which we haven't touched on a ton on this podcast, but it just shows you the teams that have established quarterbacks that are ready to win, they're not worried about draft picks. And I know Kime has had certainly his ups and downs in the draft, but his best attribute is wheeling and dealing for veteran players to come in and be stars for this team. And so, I, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know a, a specific player that they could go out and target because a lot of the great corners are on teams that are competitive. Um, you know, you look at, you know, Stephon Gilmore, Patriots are getting rid of him. Marcus Peters, the Ravens aren't getting rid of him. Joe Hayden, Patrick Peterson's on the Cardinals. Byron Jones just signed his deal. Jadavius White's a young kid. You know, Howard of uh, the Dolphins is, isn't going anywhere. Marshawn Lattimore is not going anywhere. So I think you'd have to look at, okay, could you contact maybe this, this the, I want to say San Diego, the LA Chargers. They've got a, a, a former Pro Bowl corner named Kevin King who is a draft pick from the University of Iowa, um, they supposedly shopped him during the draft. I say, isn't it Desmond King, right? This is not uh, Kevin King's the... I was thinking, I was like, that's Buda Baker's teammate. I was thinking, but yeah, Desmond King. No, totally agree with you on Desmond King is an interesting name. Yeah, I'm sorry, not Kevin King, Desmond King. And so can, could they make a, make a move midseason and acquire a player like that? I think King... Blake, and correct me if I'm I'm wrong, I think he's entering the final year, year of his deal. Yeah, I kept saying Kevin. I apologize. Desmond King. Um, he's 25 years old. He's from Detroit. Um, and so I, I just think that, you know, he had a phenomenal 2018 season, three interceptions. I just think that that's more likely the kind of move. We saw Kime deal a fifth-round pick for Kenyon Drake. I mean, he is he's essentially batting 1,000 with his trades. Um, for acquiring veterans, right? I can't think of maybe the f- the first year he took over and he traded the Anthony Sherman, the Shermanator, to Kansas City for that little corner, uh, Javier Aeneas or something, whatever his name was, and Sherman went on to be a Pro Bowl fullback for Kansas City. That was like his first year with Arians. Since then, I mean, think about the players that he's acquired. Just, I'm going to go acquire a veteran. I'm Steve Kime. He acquired Marcus Cooper right before the season. I think it was in maybe 2016, 2015, Blake. He had two interceptions, pick sixes, went on to have a really nice year for the Cardinals. Um, they traded him from, they got him from Kansas City. He went on to have a nice year and then he got paid in free agency, I think by the Bears maybe. Um, acquired Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake right now could be a Pro Bowl caliber running back. Who else has he acquired? Oh, I don't know. Chandler Jones, who's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He acquired, of course, DeAndre Hopkins this this um, this spring. I, I just I think it's his best attribute. I wish he would do it more. And I could absolutely see once somebody's established at corner that you know they're they're unhappy, they're available, whatever. That team is not doing well. I could absolutely see Kime swinging a deal and just saying, hey, we're we're not going to have a first round pick next year. We just acquired X corner who's a who's a Pro Bowl caliber player. It's it's what he's best at. And then they clearly have shown we can keep them. Chandler Jones is severely underpaid right now. They got that deal done, and he's been a, a steal. They're going to have to up his deal in a year and a half. But I, I just think going into this year, 
there could be a possibility that Kime swings a first or a second round pick for some help at safety or corner, um, specifically outside corner, not safety. Yeah, John, uh, I would be very intrigued to find out because I've, I've kind of been on the board of saying that if you're going to be trading a pick like that, you'd love to make that be for a pass rusher opposite Chandler Jones because then you that's what you'd love to have. But if you're in a desperate corner, and if you look at the Cardinals last year, they uh, there's two things that we've talked about that have gone on with they were the 31st ranked secondary. They would give up all sorts of second-half leads, and a lot of that was because they did not have talent at linebacker or safety enough to cover the tight ends that would just go off on them weekly. And they would also play, instead of playing more of this aggressive press man, they would play a soft zone defense. Essentially, they got burned early and easy enough in the season with the deep ball that they just said, hey, we're just not going to let people be this deep, keep stuff in front. So quarterbacks would just dink and dunk right in front of them all the way down the field. And they weren't able to generate any sort of pass rush or pressure except for Chandler Jones. Now, obviously, there's pieces that come with that. They were missing Peterson, Alford, and Darius Phylon for the majority of the year. They were coming off of a terrible 2018 season that would just depleted them from their talent. And they didn't really have any options outside of guys like a Chris Jones. Tremaine Brock was the most veteran player on the team, and he ended up being a guy who was lost in coverage so much. So you're like, okay, we can not only just give a pass for that, we can say they're will be expected improvement in the secondary this year. The issue, of course, is if you're talking about what Vance wants and says he needs to work, like he even came out in an interview four days before the injury and said, when you've got two veteran corners who can press on the outside, that just changes that, which is what makes your 3-4 defense run. So all of a sudden, Vance is like, hey, I'm Steve Kime, uh, hey, I'm, I'm down one of the guys I need to make this work. So you're not even going to get a chance to know what Vance can do without being able to address this spot. So I agree with you that it seems to make all the sense in the world for the Cardinals to address this. Um, a little bit, at least, as far as for with the um, with their last edition, they did at least, at least which is good, bring in a veteran in Crawley uh, who had started before. He's got a lot of the size at 6'1", good arms. But because he'd been cut for multiple teams, I think it was four teams in the last four years, you can't really bank on him to be that type of a guy. You'd be essentially... Landing, you're kind of Mar- like even a Marcus Cooper, I think it was from out of Kansas City. He was kind of a starter who lost his job during camp to one of the rookies, and he just became expendable. But he was still a good player. I think what you're looking at, if you're kind, is let's see if we can get through this year with getting our veteran and be able to at least give Vance what he needs. Because if you have to go through and find out, hey, this still isn't working, and you have to tear down your defense no matter what, just to try to get competitive into year four. You want to at least make sure he's at every opportunity to succeed because that extreme then of a move would, you know, it would, it would set you back. Now, what I think at least is good about the Cardinals in a lot of senses is you're at least going to be able to see enough flexibility in other places that I don't think you need to be as worried about corner number two. If you got Peterson on one side and you've got Isaiah Simmons who's roaming around the middle now, um, we got we got some more news on that that we can get back into in a bit that's coming out of camp. Uh, specifically involving him. And you're going to be talking about Buda Baker then being able to be free to move around as well. Jalen Thompson's getting into his second year. You've got a good depth player in Deontay Thompson behind him. You've got Chris Banjo able to play at safety. The question then is, at least, are you going to be able to just slide over some more of that safety help to your number two corner? 
and be able to know that you've already got that guy who can either cover a tight end or blitz on the passer or be able to do that with either Buda Baker or Isaiah Simmons. All of a sudden, you're talking about being able to dial up different aspects of blitzes or coverage packages. Then all you have to do, essentially, is just trust and pray and hope <laughs> that the combination of Kennard, Peters, Phillips, and Chandler Jones is able to generate enough pressure up front that when you can scheme in those coverages and blitzes, you may not need to have a world beater at number two corner. You just need a guy who's able to play the press man, able to be consistent on the defense. I don't even know if he has to be a Gerard Powers. But if you can get that and show enough defensive improvement to be able to make the defense a you know capable defense, it doesn't have to be elite by any means, then I think that you're good to go. You can check that box off and be able to kind of go moving forward of trying to be able to bring about what the Arizona Cardinals getting back to what they've been which is a team that will press guys on the outside and be able to blitz up the middle and then get and generate interceptions with some of that talent of guys in the middle. If they can do all that, John, I think that they'll be fine. That's why, for one reason, I'm not freaking out as much as other people have been on the Alford news, partially because, one, I didn't expect as much from Alford, but second is because there's enough investment that's been made into the team that I really am not a, not as concerned overall that there's going to be, oh, it's the same defense as 2019 was. I think that it will be definitely improved. The question is, how high can it go? And I think that really is going to depend on what the Cardinals are willing to do at that outside corner position. Yeah, and I just think about, okay, just looking at their base 3-4, you know, obviously Alford was going to play that outside role opposite Peterson, but do they have capable stars to lift up other people defensively? So let's go each three level. Do they have a star defensive lineman? You would say no. You need Jordan Phillips to be a Pro Bowl caliber player, okay, for this for this unit to, to come together and be as good as we think it could be. Corey Peters is 31. He's on the last year of his deal. Zach Allen's just a complete unknown. And then you've got the, the two rookies, Fotu and Lawrence, with guys like Michael Dogby and Jonathan Bullard. It's a whole lot of we don't know or meh guys, right? So let's say there's no stars defensively on the on the D-line. The linebacking core is different. Chandler Jones is a star. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, we think, has a chance to be a star. Jordan Hicks is, a, is an above-average inside linebacker. That's your strongest unit defensively. And then you look at your secondary right now. Patrick Peterson can play a Pro Bowl level, as can Buda Baker. Byron Murphy was a high draft pick with a lot of upside. And I think one player we haven't mentioned, Blake, we talked about him previously, Jalen Thompson has a chance to be a supreme building block defensively for this team. So I think, to, to your point, Blake, there are enough talented pieces defensively for this team. And I didn't even mention guys like Devon Kennard, who supposedly they're high on, even though I think he's a little stiff. Um, I, I just think they're going to they're gonna make enough plays to keep the Cardinals in it. If you look at the second half of last year, outside of that Rams game, when the Rams came to Arizona, look back at like the Seattle game, even the second Rams game, the Cleveland game, where they were just flying around playing better defensively. It was not like the beginning of the year. And say what you want about Vance Joseph, this is their second year in the system. They should be much more comfortable. So I think, Blake, just on the surface, they have enough talent. They have enough talent to be... 19th, 20th, 21st, and if we project this offense to be top 10, which they should be with the amount of hype, weaponry, and, and consistency that they will have, that's good enough for a playoff team. That, to me, definitely can equal 9-7, and 10-6, and, and and securing a wild card spot. So, uh, And then, like, to your point, Blake, I, I would not be hesitant at all to go out and say, can we scrap together enough cash 
to get one of these impact defenders that are still available. Clowney's a pipe dream, but can you get a Logan Ryan? Can you bring somebody like that in? Even like like you mentioned, a, a keep to leave. It would be better than not to have him on the team, to have his experience, to be able to say, okay, when we go up against the Rams, or when we now when we go up against Seattle and we put Patrick Peterson on Lockett, can we get somebody like Talib to go up and be physical with a DK Metcalf? That's what they're going to need. If they don't have that, this this division now outside of San Francisco, who's a mess at receiver, they're solid. Rams and, and Seattle are suddenly solid at the receiver position. Robert Woods, they, they've got plenty of weapons. The Cardinals just need somebody who can be an outside consistent presence and knows the lay of the land with the NFL. And I, Tlaib, to me, Blake, is the perfect fit. You've mentioned him. If you can scrap together the cash, if he, he, he loves to be physical. He will get up in people's faces. You remember all of his battles with Michael Crabtree. Cardinals might need a little bit of that. The last time they brought in a veteran corner, um, you know, late in the offseason, it was Antonio Cromartie. He was phenomenal with that group in 2014. Now, Akeem's a little older than Cromartie was, but I think it would be a similar kind of impact for this team. Yeah, John, the, uh, we'll, we'll see what the Cardinals do as far as if they decide to add a veteran. I, I think that they we've seen from the addition that they already had, I believe, with Ke- uh, was it Kendrell, Kestrel Bryce, I believe. They already did add at least one veteran safety. It wouldn't shock me if that's the area that they saw that they needed to fix the most. Uh, Some other news, at least, we wanted to kind of get through as far as with Cards Camp. The first thing before we get to kind of some of the other things that we're we're hearing going around is uh, Revenge of the Birds was uh, at the center of some national news that happened at least a few nights ago. Uh, We had one of our own, Walter Mitchell, wrote an article talking and wondering, and this is something, John, that you and I had even uh, were going to address today, regardless of uh, what was going to go on, was, uh, was DeAndre Hopkins potentially holding out, or you could even say holding in, where it's not that he wasn't showing up to camp, but just was, oh, I got a hamstring injury, I'm off for today. Uh, We know that from the past that he's had practice issues before as far as, like, he just, you know, would not want to practice as much, keep himself healthy or risk less injury, and then show up and play on game days. That was a constant that we saw from his time with the Texans. Um, Also, the fact that he was a guy who showed up to Kyler Murray's off-season camp workout. He risked injury there and, you know, and in some ways risked coronavirus to be able to attend that, and he was definitely there catching passes from all of the from the quarterbacks who attended. So I think there was very little concern that I had, but it was still a question to bring up because to this point the Cardinals made their trade back in March, and through about 25 or so at least at this point, days until the season starts, he's got no contract extension, which means he's playing on no guaranteed money on his contract. So if he was to get hurt or go down, Cardinals could, like whatever injury you're talking about, Cardinals could cut him or move on from that one and players don't like to be in that situation especially not ones of Hopkins caliber so the question then of course was why is it that they haven't you know rescheduled or restructured yet uh, John McClain the Texans beat writer a longtime guy retweeted Walter's article at least for that one commenting it DeAndre Hopkins himself commented at least on that part uh, and just said hey this is I'm this is me I'm not holding out source is is me and it was interesting because after this, a lot of people started, I think, bagging on like the article, saying, how can you say that? What's going on? When really it was followed up by some other national writers, including Pro Football Talk, said, hey, like this is still something that, you know, the, the, until, the de- until the deal is done, it's going to be a question. I think, John, the pandemic has had a big part of this because, you know, we don't know what the cap room and what that's going to look like in the next year. Uh, I could see that being a case as far as for hesitancy for Kymer for Bidwell. I do believe that the deal will get done. 
but it was interesting to see that, hey, there was a question that was almost worth asking in a lot of different ways. And uh, ironically enough, if this causes the Cardinals to kind of, you know, oh, well, they're already commenting on the contract. Let's see if we can kind of push through some of this. That'd be funny if there was a little bit of that at the center. What are your thoughts, at least, on the Hopkins and the contract situation? Because uh, there's no doubt, I think, that anyone has that he's going to get paid. I think it's just been... The question of where and when just to kind of get that all locked away secured so that you know that this guy is going to be here for the long term and he can kind of make settling down and putting his roots in here uh, as official yeah i love it i love i love the article that walter wrote that's the kind of stuff that we're going to do we're going to speculate we're going to ask questions that really nobody else is, is asking i posted something on twitter like if you want cookie cutter articles where everybody's great and everybody's going to have a big year and we're not going to question anything uh, for a franchise that's never won the Super Bowl and has the most losses in the NFL history, that's this is not for you. We're gonna be blunt. We're gonna we're gonna say things that might make people uncomfortable. And, and Walter is a good friend of ours. We've had him on the show. And d- did I agree with his article? No, I, I didn't think that he was holding out for money. But I had no problem um, with Walter writing that article because it stirred up conversation. He's a, we're conversation starters. And I, I absolutely do think that the Cardinals are going to pay DeAndre Hopkins whatever he wants. He's going to have a monster year for them this year. He might start a little slow because he's still learning the office, but offense. But Steve Kime, he, he secured an extension for Chandler Jones after trading the second-round pick for him. He's going to do the same thing with Hopkins. And listen, Hopkins is under contract, I think, for like three more years. He just wants more in his base salary, wants more guaranteed money. He's being paid behind the likes of... T.Y. Hilton. There, there are so many receivers. Jarvis Landry makes more money than him. Kime and Bidwell are going to get him secured firmly in that category with the Julio Joneses, who makes $20 million, with guys like Michael Thomas. He's going to be taken care of where it's going to be $18, $19, $20, 21000000 million a year. Hopefully the cap goes up and gets situated even after the pandemic is, is over, knock on wood. But I have ze- there is zero chance that DeAndre Hopkins is not on this team long term. He is going to be a staple for this team. Hopefully, he leads them to multiple, multiple championship runs. Um, I've no, it's it's not a story, but it is a story in the sense that, like, hey, like, let's ask this question: Is he not practicing because the Cardinals haven't given him more money? Um, I think it's a it's a fair question to ask, even though most of us would probably say no. He's probably just taking it easy. But I love that Walter asked it. I love the publicity he got for the for the site, and it's just. That, that's the kind of stuff we're going we're gonna to address here on the podcast. I was going to say, the conversation afterwards that took place and a lot of people going over, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, that's nothing. It was, no, this is, like, serious. Let's talk about this. I, I think that ultimately Walter, by any reason, was justified even more by the fact that because it sparked and caused the discussion and people ultimately, at least we saw on a national level, justified it. So I say props at least to some of that coverage, and I think it's good to be able to have of when – Uh, You know, from what we said, you wouldn't have ever gotten anything like that for the most part from some of the different people around the team site. Sometimes there can be things, like you said, John, that are uncomfortable. Uh, I think ultimately in this case, we get to see a really uh, good example of how uh, really when you're talking about being able to cover a team or being able to cover from more of an objective standpoint, um, obviously we're fans, so there's not uh, not total unbiased opinion here. But it does at least lead to some of that aspect. And that's why I'm at least glad that even through a lot of the pandemic, I've seen a lot of people I know who have been writing for places like SB Nation, other stuff let go. Um, a lot of people have stayed on, been able to continue. I think that kind of coverage and openness and access is still very important. 
speaking of openness coverage and access, uh, the Cardinals are not really getting that many details out because they're still treating these early sessions like OTAs. Training clamp, for the most part, in that sense, is closed. Uh, there's still at least some information that we've been able to kind of get out from other people. Uh, whether it's from, you know, other people have had different sources. Some of them we actually even had uh, a new source that came in and talked about um, just the fact that I think it was uh, the, the right tackle situation for the Cardinals. We at least know right now it's going to be Kelvin Beecham's job. Uh, there wasn't really any competition that was going to be needed with all of that. I believe John Gambadoro um, talked yesterday about and kind of cemented that, saying, yes, like, Beecham... Uh, he looks great for that one. Josh Jones has also gotten some rave reviews. That makes me at least question a little bit with Justin Murray. If they want are comfortable enough with Josh Jones, do you try to trade Murray to a team that had a tackle opt-out? I, I would be much more reticent to do that, try to keep Jones from starting for the whole year. Uh, he is rotating, at least I know, with um, Joshua Miles, the sixth-round pick who looked really good in a lot of the plays last year who could probably swing to either tackle spot. Maybe if you feel comfortable enough with Miles – being that guy, maybe that will be the case. We saw that happen last year with Corey Cunningham as well. Uh, some other ideas that we have. We know at least right now for what the uh, overall depth chart for the wide receiver position looks like as of now. Uh, Trent Sherfield has been filling in for DeAndre Hopkins when he was out of practice uh, for a few times, as well as for Larry Fitzgerald, who had a Veterans Day off. So it seems that right now he's the guy who's the vet. He was around earlier than the likes of Isabella Butler and Johnson, their other three wide receivers. But right now, it doesn't seem like it's close. Isabella is still at least the guy who, out of those four, is probably the guy who's most likely in the lead. He's been used a lot more. He's bulked up some. He's probably going to be only a slot guy. So we'll see how that will turn out since, you know, if you're going to be running 11 personnel with one tight end on the field, whether that's Max Williams or Dan Arnold, who we'll get to in just a minute, it'll be interesting to see how many snaps he's able to get since he's not going to be outside. But Given the play with Sherfield, uh, it seems like it's great uh, that he's going to make the roster. The other players, at least, that were talked about from Cliff Kingsbury, that uh, as far as at least at the wide receiver position, was Keyshawn Johnson was mentioned. And uh, I, I was a bunch of second-year players, such as Zach Allen, I believe, was another guy who was mentioned. And the one player who was not mentioned, John, was Hakeem Butler, the Cardinals wide receiver. And I think we, we've talked a little bit about some of this last year. There's been a lot of hope to hold out for Butler, given the fact that he's a 6'6", 220, you know, 4'4", track guy who played basketball. He's got all of the talent and ability in the world, but in camp was just, he was getting shut down by like a 5'9", Chris Jones, undrafted corner. There was kind of some questions or concerns about if he was going to even make last year's roster that I was hearing out of camp. He ended up getting a hand injury, was put on IR, uh, specifically not the IR even to bring back. I think that right now when you're looking at the Cardinals for the different places, it's going to be really interesting to see if he's going to be in their future plans, if they're going to be looking at other aspects. or it's, I think that's kind of going to be one of the biggest spots because he's already had a studly catch this year at least in training camp that we've gotten to see some video of and uh, it's hard to be able to give up on a fourth round top 120 pick so soon for everything john but if that's the way the Cardinals are going to feel it's just it's going to be very interesting to find out and see what goes on with him i don't think there's a bigger twitter darling amongst cardinal fans than hakeem butler i, I think we both can agree on that uh we were really adamant that the team take him the start of day three in the 2019 draft if you can go back I love the pick I thought it was tremendous value um but he has been 
underwhelming to say the least. Based on everything that Blake and I have received, this is this is not us guessing. We have got you know people that are involved with camp and practice have told us specifically he has been unimpressive, and there was a chance last year during camp that he could have been moved or cut. He got hurt. Now he has not played football in what. 18 months, a full, certainly a full calendar year since he played football at Iowa State, if not longer. So we look at the, the, the fact that they acquired an all-pro outside receiver. They've got Larry. They've got Christian, who I'm very high on. Andy Isabella has made it a priority to try to get bigger, to be more involved in the offense. Trent Sherfield, a former undrafted free agent, has made it clear he's not going anywhere. And then we're both high on Keyshawn Johnson, the sixth-rounder last year. So where does that leave Hakeem Butler? Well, he, Akeem Butler can't play special teams, right? He's not compact enough. He, he, we've never seen him tackle anybody. But he is an outside receiver, which is something they lack. Outside of Hopkins, who is a who is an impact outside receiver that they have? Fitzgerald, Kirk, and Isabella are all really meant to play underneath. They can play outside occasionally, but that's not where we really project them long term. So if there's even a chance that Akeem Butler can be that outside receiver, which is what he was supposed to be, I would be tempted to keep him around. You see flashes like on social media of him jumping over people, outstretched arms, and you say to yourself, man, can he at least be something in the red zone where this team struggled so much last year? Now you get Dan Arnold for a full 16 games. We'll talk about him in a second. You get Hopkins now. That immediately makes you better. But I just go back to all of the instances in 2019 where this team could not punch it in in the end zone. They had so many issues in the red zone. So Blake, I, I think that we, we've got it floated that they, they kind of made him available for a trade basically. And they haven't had any takers yet. So if you're listening to this podcast, don't be surprised if he's cut right before the season. Yeah. And trade, trade Twitter is a weird thing. Like I remember there was a yes or no. I even had a a discussion, I think a few years ago, I had heard, Hey, like the Cardinals may be looking to move on from Mike Lennon because they really are realizing that Josh Rosen is still better than him in camp. And there was like some trade questions for all of that team was not was staying mom. He was the the other source at least we talked to was very adamant that the Cardinals were offering Glennon to several other different teams. There's times and stuff that never happens. Just look at the Larry Fitzgerald to the Eagles trade that was, but then wasn't, but then never was. And a lot of times I think at least it's more of you want to take a look at who's going to be the long term guys for the Cardinals. And if it's cut, if it's moved on, if it's traded, uh, Corey Cunningham was a guy who the Cardinals, you know, were adamant he was going to be their swing tackle for the next year. He had experience at right tackle to back up Marcus Gilbert, had a bad preseason game, and they moved on, sent him off to the Patriots for a seven. That's just the churning of the bottom of the roster. Uh, what's interesting, I think, is that Butler is a guy a lot of people had high standards for. I don't think it's something that you can say at this point, like, you know, it's not a missed pick until they leave the team. But from all aspects, at least so far to the career, it's been a disappointment. But when you're looking at the other players in that fourth round who are drafted or picked after him, there's not really any regrets that you have, John. All of those players, none of them have turned out. There's players like Bryce Love, who's barely played. Like, there's been very little as far as for in that specific area or slot for Arizona. So I think what you can at least say is, hey, if Butler does not work out, no issues whatsoever. He was raw coming out. It was just kind of you swung the bat and took a talent who everyone was delighted on. And if you missed for that one, it's a fourth round pick for that. It's not like you're talking about, you know, multiple firsts in other areas that you've missed on. Uh, speaking of that, uh, as far as for first round picks, with the move to outside linebacker for Dennis Gardeck, I would expect that the Cardinals um, bring in another veteran 
uh, player at inside linebacker in some aspect. Uh, partially just because looking back on the film or other aspects, I don't think that, that Hassan Reddick is going to be in an aspect or a point to be able to back up should a Jordan Hicks go down, should uh, Devondra Campbell go down. Uh, certainly as far as for the type of player Isaiah Simmons is, he's very different. So I would think at least that part of what you'd like to see is the Cardinals be able to uh, bring in uh, some more depth at least. They got a good player last year. They were able to um, uh, bring in at least in Joe Walker. Uh, I think that in this case for the Cardinals, we could possibly see even that maybe they just keep six wide receivers and we don't even have a seventh. You could just add DeAndre Hopkins, keep your other five of Fitzkirk, Isabella, Johnson, uh, and Trent Sherfield. I will say this, though, and this is something at least we haven't talked as much about, but uh, if there's any type of person who's seen camp stock rise, it's probably JoJo Ward, specifically because of the lack of an outside threat at wide receiver with Hakeem Butler disappointing. Uh, he had a tremendous uh, catch, at least, and uh, very good coverage. He showed off some hops for that one. Uh, he, maybe he ends up, some people have talked about him as a guy with the practice squad. to be intriguing. It stinks that we're not going to have any preseason games this year, John, because that would be the place to kind of prove yourself. I think more likely with him, Cardinals will roll with veterans, um, probably keep another tight end on the roster, or maybe they have an extra lineman or defensive lineman. Um, and then to go with six wide receivers, a little bit more of the 11 personnel versus 10. But that's where at least I think that would be one of the camp names at least to watch. And I heard back when he was added to the team, he's a guy the Cardinals were high on uh, enough that uh, I don't know if they would have taken him in place of Eno Benjamin in that seventh round. Uh, once Eno fell, there was pretty obvious that he was going to be the pick given the need at running back three. But it wouldn't shock me considering the fact that they – don't have any type of Demir Bird replacement, and he was used specifically as a deep threat in that air raid offense that uh, former Titans, since he was cut this week, Cole McDonald was throwing to. Uh, he said some pretty impressive overall tape. He's not John Brown, but he's kind of like if you were to take John Brown and Jerron Brown with the ability to, you know, use some body control, make some tight catches, and kind of put those two guys together, a little less speed, a little bit more of the contested than uh, J.B., uh, either of those JBs, maybe he's a guy that you could look at as being that next type of Jerron Brown receiver, maybe even the next Trent Sherfield type. And those are important and valuable things to find every offseason, John, is those type of undrafted free agents. Well, we, we're going to talk about an undrafted free agent here in a second, Blake, uh, that the Cardinals claimed off waivers uh, toward the end of last season from the New Orleans Saints. But yeah, absolutely. If, if Kime can consistently add depth and value because he historically he's not been good on day three of the draft and he has not been good finding diamonds in the rough undrafted players the best that he's done is tony jefferson opted not to pay him and then he went on to have a pro bowl season with the baltimore ravens historically most of his impact comes from the via trades and then on day two of the draft he's had a really good success rate with his second and third round picks so it would be nice to see an undrafted player like a Sherfield or a JoJo that comes in and has an impact for this team. Because, listen, if, if, if you're a receiver for the Cardinals, they're still going to lean on three or four wide receiver sets. You're going to play a lot. Um, Kirk has an injury history. Larry's 37. He's year to year. There are, there are opportunities for some people to develop a rapport with Kyler and, and make an impact for this team. So I, I absolutely think that the receiver position is probably the most interesting camp battle because, listen, like you mentioned, Beecham's going to be the right tackle. There's no battle there. Mason Cole solidified himself as the center. You know, the offense is set outside of, okay, who's behind Kirk? Who's behind Larry and Hopkins? 
who are who are the fourth, fifth, sixth receivers? How does that shake out? That's going to be who who's got specific packages. JoJo is you can make an argument just as fast as Isabella. Can Isabella refine his route running, be more consistent catching the football at the point of attack, and then we can see his ability. Of course, once he gets the ball in his hands after the catch, he, he has ability to make big plays. But we he just has wasn't consistent enough last year. Hakeem Butler can he catch up after missing a full um, season of work? I, I just that to me, Blake is what, like you mentioned, we were robbed of, not having a preseason. And then defensively, I think most of that is going to shake out, you know, just fine with Simmons having a floater role, Devondre Campbell next to Isaiah Simmons. Really, it's only the receiver position where we really could have, anything could happen. We could see Isabella get beat out by, you know, somebody like a JoJo or Keyshawn, right? And he's on the bench and he's only playing special teams as a second round pick. Butler could get cut. Or the opposite could happen. Isabella could break out. He's being talked about as somebody that Kingsbury likes what he sees. Keyshawn Johnson was phenomenal the first couple games of the the year for the Cardinals last year. So uh, they need players to emerge at that position with a combination of Larry's age and the fact that week one against San Francisco, the Niners have essentially no wideouts. The Cardinals have a chance to really put pressure on them with a deep vertical passing game with the secondary that's aging. I, I, I think that Finding out who the fourth and fifth receivers are is, is probably one of the most critical uh, end results that we need outside of, okay, who's going to play opposite Patrick Peterson in the second? Yeah, John, I agree. The, there's a lot to figure out as far as with JoJo and the others. Like He's uh, essentially is a deep threat, but he's still also a 4-4-7 guy. Uh, but again, it doesn't come down to your speed. It comes down to how you can separate because... DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best deep ball guys in the NFL because he's able to get free of contact, separate, and be able to get that type of separation. So I'll be very interested to watch and see how the rest of camp goes. Uh, I think that Keyshawn Johnson taking a step. There was a time last year where he just was not able to get separated from guys, at least in Kyler, until they put Demir Bird on that other side who was able to get deep or run some slant routes. There was as much that you were able to see from Keyshawn, so his development outside to be able to watch will be fascinating. I think a lot of it goes go on Christian Kirk because, like you said, we've never gotten the chance to see Kirk in that slot, more of that Golden Tate, even maybe a Doug Baldwin type of role. And as a result, he's been kind of the outside wide receiver. He's been getting the top cornerbacks each week and was disappointing up until he finally got an easy matchup in which he was healthy for against the Bucks, and he torched them for, what was that, like almost 200 yards and at least three touchdowns, I believe. So that's where I think that the Cardinals, you want to find out and know what you have in Kirk because if you can build around him for the future and you've got your future one-two with him and Hopkins, then you just got to plug Andy into the slot. Now, the thing that can then take the Cardinals to the next level, however, as we saw, at least, we saw last year where their blocking with what they were able to do in the run game uh, was boosted, especially once they were able to add a veteran tight end in Max Williams. There's a lot of hype that's been going around about their other tight end, Dan Arnold, uh, to the point where we've seen uh, conversations not just coming from um, places like, um, in the morning at least, I believe, a Good Morning Football, Peter Schrager. He spent about at least once every three months talking about Dan Arnold being a value fantasy pick. 
but we've also seen it from other people within team sources with that, and we're also hearing from just even today, uh, Justin Pugh is saying, hey, like, guys, he made this catch in camp that was crazy, like, it was great, it was unbelievable. There's a lot of hype building around Dan Arnold, and this is interesting, John, because the Cardinals have never had a tight end that's been at least a receiving threat. I believe they're the only team in the NFL that's not had a tight end that's gone over 100 game, uh, 100 yards receiving in a game. Uh, if he can come in at least and be able to have an impact, and we can talk more about what we'd expect that impact to be realistically, uh, I don't think that we're going to be talking about a Travis Kelsey or a Zach Ertz type of play here, here, but if you can see that impact, then this Cardinals offense could really take off just by finding a mismatch weapon like that because then all of a sudden you're kind of almost filling that part of the roster and the on the offense especially itself with a tight end as that missing piece. Yeah, this is probably one of the biggest stories for Cardinal fans to follow. Uh, and I'm not saying that um, to be dramatic. I think that what you have right now, based on everything that I'm hearing from team insiders, is that, and Kingsbury has made it known, Dan Arnold is going to be a breakout player for this team. We're, we're, Blake and I were just going on and on about who's the fourth and fifth wide receiver. This this young man could be the third option for this team offensively. He had a very nice end to the season. Against the Rams, he had four catches for 76 yards, had that 37-yard touchdown, um, looked good against Seattle, had a touchdown against the Browns. He is going to emerge as, they t- as a tight end threat that this team in modern history has never had. How many years we've gone through the Ben Patricks and, you know, everybody in between that we thought, okay, has a chance to emerge and be a good player at the tight end position. Max Williams, he's a phenomenal blocker. He's not a pass catcher. The New Orleans Saints had Dan Arnold basically as a futures contract, right? And they brought him in and they said, okay, we're going to teach you how to be a pro. We're going to convert you as an undrafted player. We're going to give you a three-year deal for you know 1.6 million or whatever it was, and you're going to be a wide receiver hybrid. And then eventually you put on weight, and they moved him to um, tight end. Um, and then they, for whatever reason, opted to waive him, but wanted to stash him on their practice squad. I guess they're being up against the cap. I think it was cap related, uh, but they did not want to release him. But they had to, and they tried to stash him on their practice squad, and Kime, to his credit, swooped in and picked him up on December 5th of last year. And immediately he became a focal point. He emerged in this offense. He is going to be somebody who has, in my opinion, five to 600 yards for this team, and he could approach double-digit touchdowns. I think he. they are saying he looks explosive. You mentioned it. The Peter Schragers of the world are saying breakout candidate this year could be very well be a top 10 tight end for fantasy Justin Pugh over Peter Schrager's comment Justin Pugh the Cardinals standout guard said that you should have seen the catch he made today in practice that was today we're recording this on a Thursday it is going to be something to watch because they just Blake they've never had an impact player at this position for most Cardinal fans that were not around to see Jackie Smith I'm 32 years old. They have never had an impact tight end. They've tried in the second round, in the third round. They took that kid from Notre Dame who could never stay healthy, that never played. They took Rob Hauser in the third round. He he was horrific. He couldn't pass protect. 
Now it's ironic, Blake, that the guy they get undrafted, they pick him up off waivers in the scrap heap, 25 years old, and look at this. He could be essentially a borderline pro bowler with what we're hearing as a projection for his season. If you just go off of, Blake, what he did a year ago for this team, he had 102 yards in what equated to two and a half games and two touchdowns and was starting to emerge late in the season. I don't think it's crazy to say Dan Arnold's going to have five, 600 yards this year, six, seven touchdowns, and be just that staple that they've just, they just haven't had. He's 6'6", 220. He has already has, a, he had a rapport with Kyler in that Rams game. Kyler was going to him. He just turned 25 years old. I, I think this has a chance to be one of Kime's shrewdest moves. You look at Kime over the past 12 months. Jalen Thompson, supplemental fifth round, immediate starter, could be an impact player in the secondary. Dan Arnold off the scrap heap. Kenyon Drake for a garbage fifth round pick. I, I We could be sitting here in about three months, Blake, and saying, damn, does Steve Kime need an extension? Where, where has this Steve Kime been? To, these are the kind of moves... You get these kind of players, right? And we love the Hopkins deal, and we think that the you know the Cardinals severely underpaid. But and the Isaiah Simmons move was a no-brainer. But this is how you build a championship team: finding caliber players undrafted for or get, getting guys off the scrap heap, late round picks that could come in and make an impact for you. I, I am I I can't be more fired up about this acquisition, just because like we know it's legitimate. If players are saying it. We've got people telling us Kingsbury says look out, and Kyler's got a rapport with him. And I just I'm over the moon for it, and I think it's going to be one of the biggest things to watch early in the season because we've seen it against the Cardinals. You have a tight end, an impact player, a Kittle, and I'm not saying Arnold's going to be a Kittle, but you've got a you've got a threat like that at six six. There are very few players in the NFL. That's why the Cardinals drafted Simmons that can run with players like Dan Arnold. So I, I can't I couldn't be more excited to see how it transpires this season, Blake. Yeah, if you wanted to look at what he averaged over those three games, uh, as far as for the hundred yards each, if if you extend that over the course of the entire season, you're talking about a 533 yard season with I believe it was oh was it 10 catches for that one? So it's about what was that uh, three catches a game or so at least with the 16 games. You're talking about. Uh, being able to get about somewhere probably a little bit on the high end, they said, I think, was with the uh, 48, which is a little bit weird for that one. Let me double-check my math on that one here. Yeah, that's that's a more vacuum number. So you'd be talking about um, more of looking at probably about 30 catches or so at least, but that six to seven touchdowns, if you wanted to look for a comparison, it's not in Max Williams. Max Williams had one touchdown and 200 yards. Uh, he was just a blocker. That was him playing all 16 games. A comp that you could look at would be a guy last year like Darren Fells, who was a former Cardinal. He was like probably about 6'7 or so, became a huge red zone threat for uh, uh, for Deshaun Watson with seven touchdowns last year and 340 yards. If you can get that, that would probably be the best case very scenario. Comparable. Very, very, very comparable. comparable. So I think that's the biggest thing as far as Cardinals fans that we can get excited over. And uh, that's probably the biggest news, at least, that we've seen coming out of training camp so far. 
John, I think that the, for Cardinals fans, at least for that one, it's something that's exciting. We'll obviously see what it looks like in the season. I would still lean a little bit more under the 39, 35 catches. Now, if he does ahead and above that, then when you're talking about kind of like a explosion type year for him out of nowhere, it'd be like one of the biggest stories in the league. I wonder how much we need to maybe not necessarily credit Steve Kime, but maybe some of this is just this is what King, Cliff Kingsbury does in offense when he's given talent. He can elevate. He's able Absolutely. to elevate that between him and Kyler Murray. I think that's the biggest thing that most Cardinals fans should be excited for. Yeah, he's he's real quick. He's so smooth with his route running. Go back and watch if you've got time that Rams game. He is not a big – he's big in the sense he's 6'6", but he carries it well, and he's not a big bouldering tight end where he runs through people. He is very smooth and seamless, and that's what makes him such a threat. The Cardinals, this is why so many people want Hakeem Butler to do well. They have very limited size. And I'm not talking about mm-hmm. Kyler. I'm just, from a skilled position standpoint, Hopkins is about 6'1", Larry's 6'3". They need a presence, a big presence to go to and to and essentially make an impact. I'm, I'm thinking in the red zone, on third down. I, with this offense... I can't stress it enough, has a chance to be top five in the NFL. We you you and I both agree on that. And that that would guarantee them in my in my opinion a, a playoff spot. I, I think that the emergence of somebody like this in combination with the Hopkins and the, the the acquirement of Drake, health permitting and everything we've seen from Kyler, we didn't get into Kyler today about how he looks they said leaps and bounds ahead of where he was last year, which is scary. This this offense, I don't know how the defense will be. This is going to be one of the, the probably the best offense we've seen since that 2015 Cardinal team. Yeah, I agree, John. Uh, part of the reason why you end up seeing why Arnold is just kind of been burst onto the scene, what he looks like, that smoothness you talked about. Uh, he's got like probably as far as metrics go, uh, he was a top 80th percentile dash guy, a four six eight, which for tight ends usually you look at those as far as big wide receivers. But his agility, the catch radius, uh, burst score, when you're looking at playerprofile.com, he's like in the 90s for all of those. He is a phenomenal athlete. The biggest issue, of course, is there's two reasons why he got overlooked. One is he's more looked at as just a big wide receiver coming out, and a lot of times guys who can't block are just kind of pushed out of it in that regard. Um, the second reason why is he went to Wisconsin Platteville at college. And if you're listening to this podcast and you went to Wisconsin Platteville, like, please just send me like a DM. We'll like send you money or get a drink or something, because there's almost no one I know of who even knew that Wisconsin Platteville had a football team probably before this podcast. And that's probably why he went under the radar. So I think it's encouraging for the most part to a lot of cards fans to be able to hope that Arnold's able to perform. And we'll see, there's always times where you get hype and then things don't end up working out. But in this case, it seems like there's at least a lot of smoke uh that's going on with dan arnold and when there is smoke there's going to be fire and uh, with that we'll wrap it up for this edition of the revenge of the birds podcast we'll have more that's coming out as far as with training camp as it gets into the future uh, you can interact with us on our twitter accounts as well we're uh, trying to be as available as possible just to be able to discuss i know that with football still feels like it's a long way off but it's coming up there pretty quick uh, you can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And, uh, John, for listeners who want to interact with you, where can they find you and your content? Yeah, uh, we're at RLTB Podcast. We're here every week. We're going to be here every week. We're at RevengeOfTheBirds.com in written form, churning out articles left and right for Cardinal content. On Twitter, at JohnnyTouchdown. I'm going to try to do a, a live Periscope every week after the card game just to break down, hang with everybody. I think it would be a good chance to – 
you know, vent if, if they're struggling, celebrate if they're doing well, just, just have a kind of a, a recap show is something I've been wanting to do. Um, and then, you know, also just the DMS are open, come hang out. We're ready to hang out and, uh, spread as much cardinal information as we can over the course of what is going to be a very unconventional season. But thank you so much for, for listening. We enjoy, we enjoy doing this and we do this for the fans. Absolutely. We do. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, one of our upcoming episodes we're likely to have, we'll be going over the 53 men prediction for the final roster with our own Walter. It's also talk to him about his story going viral, get some of that points for that. Uh, that'll be upcoming in one of the next few weeks. We'll see when it comes in. But until then, this has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast.